Hey guys, Mike here. Welcome back to season two, episode four of the Pop Punk Project. Hey everyone, it's your boy Keenan. Mike, before we dive into this episode, I have been meaning to talk to you about something. What's that, Keen Beam? I've been thinking about starting a cult, and I'm hoping that you and I can be the two leaders. And I want it to be centered around candy. We'll buy tons of candy, we'll eat candy all day long, we'll shower our followers with candy, and we can call it Sugar Cult. <laughs> wow, that sounds great. <laughs> uh, only one little problem. What's that? I think that might already exist. What, the name Sugar Cult? Yeah, it's actually a pop punk band from the late 90s, mid 2000s. and Really? Yeah. Who would have guessed? We might not be able to start a cult, but... Maybe we could start some static. Whoa, we could definitely start some static. In light of that, Mike, this week, how about we discuss Sugar Colt's start static? Wow, you put all that together, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go, Keenan. Let's stage dive in. Start Static is the third studio album released by Sugar Cult, way back on August 21st, 2001. It was put out by Ultimatum Music. It was their first album to receive mainstream success, selling 300,000 copies in the first couple years. The band was founded a few years earlier in Santa Barbara, California, and they're definitely a California band, you can really tell. When we discussed Yellow Card and we were shocked that they weren't from California. These guys are the real deal. They are actually from Santa Barbara, California. It's evident, Keenan. It is evident. At the time of this recording, they were composed of lead singer and guitarist Tim Pagnata, drummer Ben Davis. Those two guys were the uh, founders of the band. Guitarist Marco DeSantis and bassist Aaron Older. They gained exposure when four songs from this album appeared in the 2002 film Van Wilder, starring Ryan Reynolds and Tara Reid. Do you remember that movie, Mike? Did you see that movie? I do. That was one of the movies that was always on Comedy Central. Always. Yep. Again, I have no idea if I've ever seen it straight through, but at this point in time, I have seen the entire movie. Yes. It's so good. It's so funny. Cal Penn's in it. Uh, that's all I remember as far as the cast. <laughs> Besides, obviously, <laughs> Ryan Reynolds and uh, Tara Reid, but... Hilarious. And yeah, it is really weird that they chose this Sugar Cold album as essentially the soundtrack for the movie. There are more songs from this album on that soundtrack than there are singles on this album. Yeah, that's right. There's only 11 songs on this album and four of them are on the Van Wilder soundtrack. So yeah, somebody on that production crew must have loved Sugar Cold. I will say this album does fit that movie pretty well, though. It's oh, a very it's pop perfect. punk it's perfect. type of movie. It has the perfect sound of that late 90s, early 2000s, National Lampoon, American Pie kind of sound that when you hear a song, you could just place in your mind of that time period. Earlier in 2001, during the mixing and recording of this album, the band played the majority of the 2001 edition of Warp Tour, and they filled a one-week support slot for Blink-182. So they were pretty famous. I mean, people knew who they were, and they were opening for Blink at the time. So that's a pretty big deal. Only for one week, though. I know. Well, that's because they were too busy on Warped Tour, you know? Still, that's pretty awesome. 
After the album's release, they embarked on a month-long U.S. headline tour and then later toured the U.S. alongside Real Big Fish, Goldfinger, and Lefty. Again, pretty big names. Towards the end of 2001, they spent two weeks touring with Good Charlotte and Mest. So these guys were sort of all over at the time. That's all in the same year, all in 2001? Yeah, when this album was released, they were on tour, on the road, performing these massive pop-punk shows. Wow, that's huge. And then after the success of this album, I'm sure 2002 was busy as well. Probably didn't slow down much for them. Yeah, I didn't include it, but in 2002, they again toured most of Warp Tour, went on another headline tour, I believe, and were just on the road 24-7, so absolutely. Way to go, gang. August 2001. What in the world's going on, Mike? On August 3rd, Keenan, The Princess Diary, starring Anne Hathaway in her film debut, is released. It's a good movie, right? I love that movie. That's one of my... I don't know if you could call it a guilty pleasure since I was 11 when it came out. <laughs> yeah. But that's one of the movies that I watched so many times. Part of the reason was my sister also loved that movie. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I still enjoy watching it from time to time. I know my sister-in-law, Jane also enjoys it so we like to quote that every once in a while i remember being a good movie i think i've only seen it once it wasn't a movie that i watched multiple times it wasn't one that i was obsessed with but it holds up it's still very funny in my opinion and even the parts that are like cheesier funny what genre is it is it a just a comedy i can't even remember it's probably a rom-com rom-com yeah stars anne hathaway eric von detten oh eric von detten yeah he's like that's the, right i forgot he was in the that. heartthrob and um, one of the guys from Rooney is actually in it as well. I forget his name, but kind of a little pop punk segue or connection there. On August 6th, the CIA issues a warning to President George W. Bush that attacks were imminent in the U.S. That one is pretty ominous because, as we know, just one month later, the 9-11 attacks happened. So that one is a little sad to think about. It is. It's like being able to have known that 9-11 was about to happen after it happened. Well, one of the things that became known after the fact is that there were warning signs and there was intelligence that things were happening. There was chatter from their different intelligence agencies. So it's one of those things that it's kind of hard to think about, but it's like, could you have prevented it if you actually did something? I don't like to speculate on that because it's such a dark thing to think about. But um, I also doubt that at that point in time, Anybody could have predicted it would have been on the scale of what it was. No, of course not. August 21st, Keenan. How You Remind Me, the single by Nickelback, is released. Massive hit. One of my favorite songs of all time, actually. Is it really? Probably, sure. Why not? (laughs) I love Nickelback. Speaking of guilty pleasures, I do enjoy some Nickelback from time to time. It actually was Billboard's Song of the Year in 2002. So this came out middle to late 2001 and then became Song of the Year the following year? Yeah. I didn't do any further research, but I guess it's kind of like how the Oscars are awarded to the previous year's films. Okay. That's what I thought, at least. In my mind, this song is just so popular that I feel like it could just win the Billboard Song of the Year every single year. It's Song of the Year every year, (laughs) baby. In my heart, it is. That's for sure. (laughs) This is how... You remind me. Oh, we definitely have to throw that in. This is how you remind me of what I really am. This is how you remind me of what I really am. 
quick tidbit on this. It was a couple years ago, but I watch SNL a lot, and I it gets less funny each week, in my opinion. But there was a great clip that included this song, so I'll just post a link in the show notes, so you can check it out. I haven't seen that one, so I want to see. It's not too. worth me describing it because I don't remember all the details, but it's pretty funny. <laughs> okay, cool. Somebody's in the hospital on life support, but they somehow are rocking out to this song before they die. I thought you said you weren't going to explain it. I, know. <laughs> I have to tease it. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Doesn't that make you want to watch it to see like what the hell it's yes, about? Yes, now I need to watch it. On August 24th, the movie Bubble Boy starring Jake Gyllenhaal is released. That's another one that I feel like I've seen once and haven't seen it since 2001. Yeah, that's another movie that, that was always on Comedy Central. Yeah, it was. Really goofy, right? Yeah, he was just a goofy guy with weird hair that was stuck in a bubble. It was his mom <laughs> yeah. was a germaphobe or he was a germaphobe or something. Was that had some part of sort it? of illness had to be in a bubble? Yeah. Right, right, right. Isn't the plot he like tries to make it on its own? He like runs away or something and I then do. he's experiencing life for the first time in this bubble. I think so. <laughs> Every week we speculate on what these movies plots are <laughs> and I'm, I never really follow up to see how close we are, but I really hope we're not too far. It's one click away. We just don't, we just can't waste time on that. Yeah. But yeah, I just I remember being 12 years old and this movie would constantly be on the weekends of com- on Comedy Central. It was. With it was always on. 55 commercial breaks, so. Yep. You would just fall asleep while you were watching it. On August 25th, Keenan, some very sad news. Singer Aaliyah and eight others are killed in an air crash in the Bahamas. That was one of those news stories that was dominating MTV news popped up and it was like the big shocker of the week yeah because she was incredibly young she was yeah and she was at the peak of her career Mm -hmm. if i remember correctly yeah so that was big news tragic untimely death a little bit of a happy note for that day keenan august 25th 2001 my 11th birthday hey happy birthday buddy thanks we were just wondering if we're ever going to get to an August released album so that we can actually discuss your birthday for once. And that was unintentional. I just saw, hey, August, that's my time. Virgo, baby. What do you think that birthday party was? If you had to guess, what do you think you did that year for your birthday? So it's funny. I was trying to remember, and I remember a couple different things that I would have done around that age. One year we went to Hershey Park. Mm-hmm. One year we went to a Phillies game. So I can't say for certain what we did on my 11th birthday, but there's a good chance it was one of those two things. Okay. That's a decent guess. Yeah, but I was never I was never a party guy. Were you a party guy? Party, 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 party. Like, I never had, like, there were kids at school that always had big birthday parties. I definitely had a couple. It certainly wasn't every year, but I remember there was that one big one at Playpod. Do you remember that one that I had at Playpod? Was it Playpod or Happy Times? I think it was Playpod. Where was that? I have no idea. (laughs) It could be three hours away and it could be around the corner. (laughs) Yeah. There's no way to ever know. Playpod. Where the hell was that? I know where Happy Times is, obviously. Right. Happy Times is gone now. It is gone. It's a self-storage facility. Yeah. But that one is in like Horsham, Mm -hmm. basically. Uh, Playpod. Yeah. We should ask our parents where Playpod is. (laughs) They should send us an email and tell us where Playpod is. (laughs) I hope it's still around. But Playpod, yeah. I do, I actually do remember that one. There was all those cool places. There was the Discovery Zone. 
Yep. And I think it might have been this party. There was this slide that had all these rollers on it. Mm-hmm. That's Playpod. It was like a roller slide. And I remember yep. going down that and it was quite fun. Yeah, that was your infamous uh I don't care, I hate spaghetti. Oh, that was, a play was that? Oh, yeah. wow, okay. I bet I can track down that video, actually. That would be some great content. That'd be great content. You with your little bowl cut. Yeah. Fat glasses. Well, <laughs> fat glasses. <laughs> well, thanks for inviting yeah. me to your to your 11th birthday party. You're welcome. <laughs> 11th. You think my 11th was at Playpot? Yeah. <laughs> it might have been. I think my parents, we had one birthday party with, like, kids from school, and it was at the Y, the Ambler Y, mm. probably, like, first or second grade, and I think after that, they were like, we're never doing that again. <laughs> it was just too much coordination and too much, like, chaperoning everybody's kids for two and a half hours. Yeah, that's got to be such a headache for parents. And sometimes parents hang out and, like, you know, help and chat and whatever, but... Most do not. I don't know. Here we go, Mike. Some weddings. Celebrity weddings. On August 4th, Bond, James Bond, actor Pierce Brosnan, at the age of 49, weds TV host and journalist Keely Shea Smith, who's 37 at the time, in Ireland. Still married to this day, Mike. Wow. Yeah, that's a good one. Pierce Brosnan, he seems like a guy who could have any woman he wants. He's so suave. He's a secret agent. But he stuck it out for the long haul. He's a committed man. I'm proud of him for that. And 49 is still... It's kind of young to just stay hitched for the rest of your life, you know? I guess. You you got married at 20 what? 27? Yeah, but I'm not Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> You're cuter than Pierce Brosnan. Thank you. You're welcome. And then on August 10th, member of the Dixie Chicks, Marty Irwin weds actor Gareth Maguire in Hawaii. Unfortunately, Mike, they were divorced in 2013. That's a shame, Keenan. You hate to see something like that happen. I know. I should say, the Dixie Chicks, they don't even go by the Dixie Chicks anymore. I'm pretty sure they just go by the Chicks now, don't they? Was that just last, was it last summer? Lady Antebellum changed her name to Lady A and the Dixie Chicks are now the Chicks? Yeah, I think it just happened, yeah. So I guess you could say that Marty McGuire succeeded from her union the same way the South did from the U.S., right? Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's not a bad analogy. That's exactly what happened. I get the the symbolism behind changing the names and whatnot, but also it's like, does anybody... It's very hard to train yourself to call them that new name. Yeah, we've grown up with the Dixie Chicks. It's going to be hard to see them as anything else, but we'll have to, Mike. I'm willing to call them the chicks whenever they come up again in this segment <laughs> next episode because otherwise i don't think i talk about them much in my day-to-day -day life literally never with this album mike i did read that tim pagnata he wasn't super comfortable being completely vulnerable when he was writing the lyrics to these songs and he was pretty unsure about how to process his own thoughts so a lot of this album feels like it's him experimenting with his own emotions and his feelings. And you can definitely tell in the content of the lyrics because they're not the most sophisticated in the world. I think compared to, say, a Fallout Boy, My Chemical Romance, where you can just pick it apart layer after layer, 
This one is a little more straightforward at times. I think it's it's just not as complex. Yeah, I would say the songs get the point across while maybe not being the most intricate in the world. Thematically, it's fairly dark, but it's often disguised by upbeat, poppy, peppy guitar riffs and catchy choruses. Kind of reminds me a little bit of what we talked about last week with Relying K. If you read the lyrics, it's very dark, but if you're just listening to the music, you might not catch some of the themes. Um, Stuff like escapism, depression, and just all-out recklessness come across in these songs. Yeah. Musically, some of them are darker than others, but a lot of the more upbeat songs, you'd never know that it was about those themes, unless you actually listened hard or read the lyrics. It's kind of crazy, actually. The way that I see this album, Mike, listening to it, at a slightly older age, it seems like there are two distinct stories that are intertwined. They're telling two different narratives and they eventually collide and become one story. The first one is the story of this troubled rock star, which might be kind of autobiographical. And then the second one is the story of a troubled teenage girl. And we'll see in this album that those two individuals eventually meet up and their individual stories become one. Interesting. When you mentioned that, I can see how some of the themes throughout this album could relate to both of those protagonists, I guess. Mm, or antagonists, we'll see. Ooh. But this is one of those albums where I think I picked up a story from start to finish, kind of like we did with All American Rejects in season one. Never really knew it, but thought it would be kind of fun to explore that potential narrative. Absolutely. You could be doing them a favor it could be that all the songs are just very similar and cliche whereas you're analyzing it and saying wow there's a whole story yeah giving them more props than they deserve (laughs) yeah (laughs) that'll be fun to explore along the way yeah agreed what are your experiences with this album did you listen to it back in the day what did you know about it i think i first heard of sugar colt from their song memory which came out on the album after this But then they were what I call an iTunes band. I went to iTunes and I bought a couple of their singles. And Bouncing Off the Walls was always the song that I gravitated towards the most. Mm -hmm. And then from there, I kind of discovered their other singles. As we had mentioned, their songs were heavily on display in different cultural things, most notably Van Wilder. But that said, this was never an album that I really listened to consistently or in its entirety. Yeah. I'll be straight up, honest, honest to God. I just, I don't know. I know a lot of the songs and I enjoyed it when I was listening to it this past week, but this is a newer experience for me. I appreciate your honesty, Mike. Sure. I would agree with you. I probably knew more of the songs than you did, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. I knew all the singles pretty well. I knew Bouncing Up the Walls. I knew Stuck in America. I knew Pretty Girl. And I knew a couple of the others, but I don't know if I really knew them all. But this was an album that I wanted to go back to. I think we agreed that we wanted to put this in season two because it was one that we knew about and we knew was huge at the time, but maybe we didn't have the chance to really listen to it like we would some of our other favorite bands. But I will say, similar to you, Mike, I knew the songs from their follow-up album, Palm Trees and Power Lines, way better. I knew Memory. I knew She's the Blade. I learned the majority of it on the guitar with my guitar teacher at the time. And so that album I knew, and I think it actually probably brought me back to this album. 
Was that at George's Music? It was at George's Music. Nice. It was with my guitar teacher, Billy Childs, who uh, was sort of a washed up hair metal band member back in the day. But he's a great dude. Awesome. Man, that means when we do Palm Trees and Power Lines, we got to get you soloing on some of those. Oh, yeah. Maybe I'll just uh, perform that album for the podcast. Yeah, that can be our live show album. <laughs> that one. Of all the albums, it'll just be the Sugar Cole one. I'm into it. <laughs> and the, there won't be anything else to it, just you playing the guitar riffs. Yeah. <laughs> and messing up probably most songs. That's fine. Uh, shoot. Uh, one second. I'll try my best, you know? That's all we can ask. Track number one. You're the one. Let me just say right off the bat, Mike, this is the doppelganger song, this Mm. episode. And I think it's pretty straightforward. The intro is essentially the same exact intro as Green Day's Know Your Enemy. Although this drum intro is a little bit faster, but... It's essentially the same exact thing. The verses and choruses also match up pretty well. The way that the singers sing them, the melodies match up with the guitar chords almost perfectly. And so, I don't know, when I was listening to this, all I kept thinking about was Green Day's Know Your Enemy. So, I can hear that now that you mention it. And that song came out probably eight or so years after this one. So Green Day totally, they might have sugarcoated some royalties, right? <laughs> I mean, I never like to go that far, Mike. No, I know. It's I just, never like to accuse anybody. It's but... always just a cute thing with you. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, it's fun. It's a coincidence, you know? It's a fun little coincidence. No, Your Enemy was the intro song for WWE SmackDown for a bit of time. Oh, was it really? It was, yeah. Do you like professional wrestling? Not as much as I used to, but it's WrestleMania season, so... (laughs) That's right. It's pointing at the sign season. That's right. So what do you think this song's about? I got from this a similar theme to some recent bands we discussed. It's kind of a look at fame and where you stand with all of it. Looking at a situation as a member of a band and feeling that pressure to constantly deliver for your fans 
to constantly be the thing of the moment, that pressure to never rest on your laurels and put out anything but the best, newest hits. Yeah, we definitely saw in Fall Out Boy and Reliant K, they were constantly thinking about and talking about their own fame and their own relevance in pop culture. And that's exactly what this is speaking to as well. And as far as the narrative that I think I picked up on, this is the introduction of this sort of washed up rock star guy who's trying to stay relevant. He's this larger than life personality, but he realizes that his fame and attention are potentially fleeting. And so he's trying to put out a hit record and he's trying to put out these major hits that his fans are going to love. So the line that stood out to me most on this one, Keenan, and actually made me think that it was about a musician was the line back mask spinning wax the record had a heart attack i made you do the things that drove you crazy so that's obviously referring to a vinyl record and i actually had to look up what back masking was it was the practice of placing backwards messages in your songs intentionally which i was aware of throughout musical history i just never knew that there was a name for it and it's pretty interesting. The backmasking plays a role in like the Beatles and 60s and 70s rock and roll. And then it got more demonic, like heavy metal bands were putting satanic messages and freaking out parents and stuff like that. Right. It always sounds so creepy, like it's straight out of a horror movie or something. Exactly. But that reminded me, and it's pretty funny that this all came up again, because last week when we were talking about my Nintendo DS and talking with Pete Busby at the science fair, Mm -hmm. I completely forgot, we completely forgot to mention that you actually did your science fair project with Pete Busby, right? Yeah, I did. We we did a tag team science fair project. And your theme was subliminal messaging in music, right? Or in songs? Yeah. And so we made songs. We made these little clips of songs, and they were really basic acoustic guitar riff with somebody singing, we had somebody in the background saying words, and then we had people take a quiz and we tried to figure out if they actually picked up on what was being said in the background. I think a couple instances we we did turn things backwards and we had this like backwards message. So yeah, you're totally right. That's so funny you remember that. I know. There's no reason for me to remember it, but <laughs> that's one of those things that you can push out of your brain at this point in your life. It's fine. I think this might be me doing that. Okay, good. I'm giving it to the world, and I'm relieving myself of this burden. This is your final farewell to my science fair project? Yeah. Cool. I'm okay with that. It was funny, because we were texting. It's like, oh, we completely forgot. You were sitting right next to me when I was picto-chatting, and then now the album for this week, it's like, oh, it's just talking about backmasking and subliminal messaging within songs, which is Keenan's science fair project for me. It's so funny, yeah, that that just happens to come up again. Also, can we say that backmasking is your... Susie Cook vocab word of the week. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Cooking it up with Susie Cook's vocab time. Does it have any definition outside of its musical roots? I don't think so. In fact, it's funny you pointed out backmasking and spinning wax because I literally picked those out and had to Google those and found the exact same information that you did. Just the spinning wax made me think of the record, but I had no idea what backmasking was. Not really sure how the heart attack plays in there either, but let's move on. (laughs) Track number two, Stuck in America. Today I changed, new town with the same old face. 
I want to mention, Mike, that this is such a cop-out, but I have two favorite songs on this album. Almost three, probably. There are two to three songs that are so close that I like so much that it's pretty hard to decipher, but this is one of my two favorite songs. I'll allow it. I don't think anybody's going to condemn you for that. Mm, I don't know. The fans can be brutal. We'll see what they are, and then we'll go from there. How about that? Okay, sounds good. So wait, so this is one of your favorites then? This is one of my favorites, correct. Nice, and it was also the first single. That's right, yep. And it was also on the Van Wilder soundtrack. (laughs) Yeah, it was. Yeah, again, a lot of them were. What I love about it, it has such a traditional and iconic pop punk sound to it. The intro, when the guitars and drums come in, the chorus, it's so catchy. One or two of the guitar riffs and the vocal harmonies it just kind of defines that era, that sound, really well. Definitely. It's so funny that you heard Green Day in the last song because the intro on this one, the guitar and the drums, reminded me of a song. Not a song, but it, it sounded like a song that could have gone on their Dookie album. That's yeah. the vibe I got from the opening of this track. So. Definitely, if you want to emulate a pop punk band, there's no better one to choose than Green Day. So I don't know if that was intentional or just what we're hearing here, but yeah, you're right. They definitely have found a very good sound from the early moments of this album. What do you make of it? Stuck in America, that title just sort of screams out to you. It's something we can all relate to, Keenan. Being sick of your town, your friends, your parents, and wanting to break out. Wanting to get out of there, do something. It feels a little bit like Yellow Card's Way Away, which was about wanting to leave your hometown and be something bigger than your roots. Knowing that there's more opportunity out there for you in the world. Yeah, there's more opportunity. You're just desperate for the next thing. You think that you have so much more to offer the world than what you've really had the chance to thus far in life. And you're just stuck. I did not listen to the song as much as you when I was younger, and it's not, I mean, it's a great song, but it's not one of my favorites on the album. My point being, I didn't know all the lyrics to this song going in, and there was a ton of stuff on this song that I was like, ooh, this album came out one month prior to 9-11. I wonder if that gave them a lot of issues, because this was their debut single released in August, and then one month later... There's a line in this song that says, everybody's talking about blowing up the neighborhood. Everybody's going to watch it burn today. And the song's just about being stuck in America. Yeah. So I was wondering if it was hard for them to promote this single. And I kind of got my answer right away because I went to watch the music video and they changed all those lines. Yeah. I can confidently say that the music video version and the radio version at the time, and I think still to this day, they change blowing up the neighborhood to waking up the neighborhood. They do actually say waking up the neighborhood at one point in this song, later in the song, but they ended up changing every single time that blowing up the neighborhood was said. They changed it to that. Which I probably think was the right call, given the time period. We saw a similar thing happen when Jimmy Eat World changed the title of Bleed American to a self-titled shortly after that happened. 
And then the line, everybody's going to watch it burn today, was changed to, everybody's going to shake it up today. (laughs) Yeah, that keeps it a little more fun, right? But how weird is that? Like, blowing up the neighborhood and watching it burn, just, it's unreal how unlucky they got with the timing of all that. Timing couldn't have been worse. So speaking of the music video, a funny story is I actually remember downloading this music video on LimeWire back in the day. I think I was actually trying to download Bouncing Off the Walls and it happened to be this one. I was like, what? And I think that's how I actually discovered the song. And I was like, oh, this song actually rocks. And the music video is essentially just them performing on this Japanese game show. But I thought it was always so funny. Um, in particular, the way that the Japanese host introduces them. It's the exact opposite of being stuck in America. It's performing on a television program in Japan. They're literally on the other side of the world performing, yeah. But that's what they're saying. I think that this is them sort of breaking out of America, breaking out of this culture and jumping into another one. And it's a pretty straightforward video. It's just them rocking out and their Japanese fans going crazy. And I thought it was... Good old-fashioned fun. Yeah, great fun video. Most of their videos are fun like that. Agreed. As far as the narrative, Mike, so I think at this point in the story, obviously this rock star character is trying to be the best at what he does, and he can't because he feels like he's trapped at home. He wants to spread his wings, but he's finding it difficult to do that. That's where he's at in the story. Okay, word. Track number three, hate every beautiful day. Just like us, Mike, we hate beautiful days. Hate him, Keenan. Prefer when it's ugly out. Faces in the crowd, fake smiles, four miles by imitations wrong of them again. Trapped inside this cheap hotel, board is hell, turning the channels round. My head, my bed. I can feel a change, I can feel, can you feel it? I see it on the I don't know. This is a gloomy song, and I got the sense that it was just about depression and malaise. Definitely. It's funny because we just talked about Reliant K's song High of 75 last week, and we got into how a lot of times your emotions can be affected by the weather, and this one turns that on its head a little bit. Instead of hating gloomy days, you wish that it would rain. You hate beautiful, sunny days, and those are usually the days when you go outside and you just get this sense of, oh, it's a beautiful day. Like, nice. One less thing to worry about, right? Right. Whereas if you're going through a tough time or some depression, as it seems like the protagonist in this song is going through, just reminds you how unhappy you are despite your surroundings. Well, I think when you are depressed, you realize how sad you are and you don't really know why. And it seems like whether it's true or not, everyone around you is happier and is living a better life. And so I think he's saying that he hates it when it's nice outside. He's equating beautiful days to happy people, and that makes him upset and angry. And so he's saying he hates beautiful days. He hates when everybody's happy and he's not. Right. There's a great line, faces in the crowd, fake smiles for miles, 
my imitation's wrong of them again. So he's seeing all these happy people, and even though in his mind they're all fake, they're just putting on a front of happiness, he's still frustrated that he's not able to do the same thing. Like, why can't I just feign happiness for the public eye when I leave my house for the day? That's just yeah. not something you're able to do. He says that his medications failed. He's obviously having a really rough go of it. So it's a relatable song, I think. You know, everybody has those days when you don't care if it's sunny or rainy. It's just like, it might be better if it was rainy. Then I could just stay inside and not have to worry about going out and pretending to be happy when I'm not. And depression aside, sometimes I just like a rainy day, Mike. Like the really windy, rainy days. It's fun to just kind of stand outside in. I don't hate those. Yeah, it's a little spooky. Very spooky. At this point in the story, he's stuck at home. He can't break out. And that makes him sad. So I think he's just down because he's not able to spread his wings and he's not able to essentially live up to his full potential. So this rock star is just kind of stuck in a rut at the moment. Track number four, the biggest hit of the album, Bouncing Off the Walls. I'm bouncing off the walls again. Whoa, I'm looking like a fool again. Whoa, through my reputation. One more song for the way. Again, we know it's the other major single mic. This is my other favorite song. There it is, Keenan. I knew it. But I like them all. I like them all, though. I knew you were you were a singles guy. Ladies? <laughs> it's the second single. Since we're just throwing out our favorite songs, I will say this is my historic favorite because it was the only song on this album that I really knew and loved. <laughs> so it's your to... favorite by default? <laughs> no, I still picked a new favorite this week. Similar to what okay, I did cool. with Newfound Glory. I tried to change it up. This was always a song that I really loved. It's upbeat, it's catchy, and we've talked about this before, but it's a song that I never really read too far into, and looking back, it's like there was way more going on than I originally thought there was when I was 12 years old listening to it for the first time. Yeah, a lot of dark themes. This is definitely one of the songs where it's just so upbeat that you're just jumping around and happy listening to it. But I mean, it's really about drugs, right? It's really about hitting rock bottom, giving into your vices. Right. And the bridge is the only part that directly alludes to drugs. The line, mama and daddy's got the best cocaine. Ritalin's never going to be the same. And when I was younger, that always scared me because it's a weird transition in the song. I'm like, oh, this isn't really that happy and catchy. Yeah, it almost doesn't fit the song. It's almost like it's its own different song for a second. Right. But in listening to it again, I was like, oh... All the times that he's saying you in this song, I think he's actually referring to cocaine or some drug or some vice, which when I was younger and you hear every penny from my last paycheck, I've blown it on you. You just think, oh, it must be his girlfriend spending all his money. Yeah. It's like, oh, no, this guy's just just uh, 
talking about his addiction. Yeah, severely overridden with some addiction. He's waking up on the bathroom floor, spending all his money, and just heart beating out of his chest, bouncing off the walls. So uh, yeah. all the signs are there. I just never really caught on until I was 30 years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now that we know what all these things are. Now that we've done mountains and mountains of cocaine in our life. That's true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We have. But it is the consequences of the rock star lifestyle, isn't it? It's yeah. about doing too many drugs, drinking too much alcohol, making a fool of yourself at parties, sacrificing your physical, mental health, and all your money just to play this character in real life, essentially. And I think it relates really well to this narrative that I'm trying to to build where, you know, he's essentially a sad rock star who's trapped and can't live up to his potential. And now he's just getting high and drunk every night and hitting rock bottom. And to the extent, Keenan, that he's even suicidal. That line, I got my finger on the trigger and you're in my way. So it's almost like this addiction is the only thing that's keeping him going. It's probably one of the reasons that's led him to having a loaded gun pointed at himself anyway. He's probably not in a great headspace. But it's like all he has to live for is just this addiction. So very sad. Well, we already discovered in the song before it that it's clearly there's a depressed person in here somewhere. So I think he's just that guy and this is how he's dealing with it. That's one way to deal with it. I don't know if it's always the best way to deal with it. Yeah, I would say more often than not, it's not the best way to deal with it. But, you know, I'm no psychologist. I'm no therapist. There is a music video associated with this song. There's actually two of them, which is kind of wild. I was going to say, pretty crazy. Yeah. One of them is literally just pulled straight out of Van Wilder. Not any real scenes from Van Wilder, but Ryan Reynolds, Tara Reid, they're both in it. And Sugar Colt's essentially just rocking out in this apartment complex next to their rooms. Right. It's fine. The part where Sugar Colt is rocking out is probably cooler than the Ryan Reynolds, Tara Reid part. But in terms of having an artifact from that time period, it's nice that they had the combination of both in that video. And I was thinking... What complete opposite directions Ryan Reynolds and Tara Reid's careers went in. Yeah, that's true. Like to be the co-stars in that movie. And then Ryan Reynolds is Deadpool. He's a Hollywood heartthrob. And Tara Reid is still around, but I don't know. Even in Van Wilder, though, do you remember how bad of an actress she was in that movie? Yeah. It wasn't good. I think her best role was in The Big Lebowski, partly because her role was just this dumb gold digger girlfriend yeah that's right so she played it well i can't say i'm surprised that their careers went in different directions unfortunately but yeah that is a good observation the second music video was just them i shouldn't say just because i think it was a great music video but it's the band touring london and it's their shows and some backstage antics them going around london town and it's pretty cool this is that tour footage video and As I've said before, love these. Love seeing all the uh, candid shots of them behind the scenes. I wonder why they decided to do two. If they just had footage lying around and they thought, well, this is our biggest song, so we might as well make another video. Well, I don't want to get into all the details, but I do know that they re-recorded a couple of the singles from this album with Mark Trombino and re-released it several months later. So I think it might have coincided with the release of those new singles. And you can actually tell in 
one and actually maybe both these videos that they use an updated version of the song. So I think that has something to do with it. There's a lot of technical details behind it, but we don't have to get into it. Interesting. Similar to Stuck in America, there is some censorship on the music videos for this single. The word trigger is edited, but it it isn't replaced with anything. It's just like muffled and made harder to understand. And it almost sounds like they're saying Trish Trishler instead of trigger. Yeah, don't they just sort of jarble it a little Even bit? Even Twizzler, yeah, it's like they just mix it around. But <laughs> yeah. I'd rather them just take it out and leave it blank. Yeah. I do wonder how they decide to censor things sometimes. There are some really funny ones out there. Especially in this case, the lines that precede it are, Mommy and Daddy's got the best cocaine, Ritalin's never going to be the same. (laughs) And it's like, we can't have them say the word trigger. Yeah, trigger's too graphic. So, I don't know. Track number five, Saying Goodbye. This song was also in Van Wilder, Keenan. <laughs> there you go. Are you keeping a tally? Is this the second one? This is the third. We had oh, the, third the first one. two singles and then this one. Okay, yeah, gotcha. But in my opinion, this is one of the ones that I hadn't heard before. And my first thought was this song is just dumb. <laughs> really? Like the just like the theme of it? Like the, the story, the lyrics? Yeah, the theme of it. The song itself, it's like every other song in this this album is a pretty catchy song but the song itself is this teenage girl feeling sorry for herself and wanting to run away and then the different examples that are given for how this girl has been wrong just make me laugh like <laughs> yeah they hate her when she's beautiful and even more when she's a fool they talk behind her back when it's her birthday yeah on her birthday they're bullying her that's right <laughs> yeah. so, kind of like we were on our uh, 11th birthdays exactly So from that perspective, I'm like, okay, like, there are better songs on this album. This one's a little bit silly, in my opinion. It is silly. I think the examples they give, you're right, are a little over the top and a little dramatic. But it does capture this theme of this girl who essentially has a rough life. And I don't know, it seems like it's that story of the classic pop punk princess, the girl who doesn't get along with her family, doesn't get along with the people around her, and just wants to run away. And I think later in the song, she ends up running away, which is such a classic adolescent theme. Mm -hmm. So I agree with you in that respect, but I do want to say that the intro of the song is pretty awesome. It's just such a good pop-punk intro. Oh, yeah, it is. Almost bordering on stereotypical, to be honest, but I don't think there's anything wrong with that.
And same as the chorus. The chorus is just so catchy and it's so singable. But you're right. It is tough to get past like the silly little examples they give. Yeah, musically, it's a great song. Lyrically, and I don't even think it's Sugar Cold's fault because the fact of the matter is there are people like this, especially as the song describes her as 17 years old. Especially when you're 17, you do have this this emotional weakness at times where you're just like, everybody hates me. I need to leave. Right. It's a very angsty age for sure. Right. Like I can see somebody that age listening to this song and just completely vibing with it because it totally describes them and how they relate to their parents. Like their parents yelled at them and they're like, I'm saying goodbye. I'm leaving tonight. Yeah. Speaking of which, have you ever ran away? Did you ever have a moment where you decided to pack it up and run away when you were in middle school or were close to running away? I don't think so. Every once in a while, I would storm out of the house, but I would just go for a walk and come back. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I never like packed up and intended to leave. I don't right. know. I never did <laughs> yeah. that. The worst, I like started running. I'm like, I'm just going to run. And then like, I couldn't run. So I just like. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, like you ran out of breath? Yeah, like I, like I was like, I'm gonna run to burn off like my anger, uh-huh. but I can't, I can't run, so I just like <laughs> sulky walked like back to my house. <laughs> oh, I'm not in good enough shape to storm off. <laughs> Have you ever run away? No, I was thinking the same thing. There were moments where I like decided to storm out of the house. Uh, I think all my siblings did similar things. I, there was one instance where I, I don't know the details of it, but I remember. Shane, who was a couple years older than me, he decided like he was going to go and he like packed some things up in a bag and like was walking down the street. I think my parents like went and just like caught up with him and, like, okay, like come back home. But I have that in my head for some reason. I have that memory burned in my head. I can't tell you any more details just because I don't remember them. But I can almost guarantee the bag he packed was that denim duffel bag. Yeah. Oh, it definitely was. <laughs> that literally said... I think it said Shane Sport on it or something. Jan Sport? No, it said Shane Sport. Like it was a custom made bag. Oh, was it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I never knew that part. Didn't you use it too? Yeah, it said Shane something on it. I think it was a play on Shane Sport, but. Okay. I didn't <laughs> I don't realize know. that part of it. I just remember that was like, that was the Clark bag. <laughs> yeah, that was custom made, Mike. <laughs> okay, my bad. <laughs> Big deal. Uh, I'm sure it was that bag. You're right. There's another useless piece of information I can. Get out there into the universe and forget about. True. Keenan's gym bag. <laughs> I do just love that fact of the concept of running away is hilarious to me. Like, what does a 12-year-old think they're going to... Actually, 12 is probably even too old. What does, like, a 10-year-old think they're going to do on their own? Like, they're going to be able to start a new life somewhere? That's why I give us credit, because we are smart enough to understand that the answer to that is nothing. <laughs> yeah. I would just pout over behind the garage and wait for somebody to come get me. Yeah, exactly. The line that I talked about earlier with her being upset that her friends talk badly about her on her birthday, we need to stop weaponizing our birthdays. <laughs> like, it's been used as a thing for too long, especially by people that are older and older. Like, when you're 17 years old, I get your birthday is a big deal. But at a certain point in time, you can't just make it like, what's well, my birthday? It's my birthday. It can't be your line of defense for absolutely everything. Yeah, you don't have free pass to do whatever you want. Right. Turning 37 is no reason to just, like, <laughs> get wasted and be an awful person and say, well, it was my birthday, and then just hate everybody if they try to, you know, everything doesn't go exactly as you want it to. 
let's report back when we're 37 and see if that actually happens to us. Yeah, it might. Exactly. I say 21's the cutoff, and then you get a little bit of like lenience for each decade, like 30, 40, 50. Okay. I could get behind that. But we can't just have, I'm turning 26, so it's my birthday month, so everybody has to do exactly what I want. <laughs> Mike, taking a firm stand on birthdays. I'm okay. sick of it. I'm sick of it. <laughs> Did something happen to you? Are you okay? Did you have to deal with this? It's just constantly, actually, for as awful as COVID is, it has been nice that people aren't having parties as much because it used to be every social media was just like girls blowing out uh, 29 candles and like, why do I care? <laughs> I guess that says more about me than them. And maybe, yeah. I'm like the guy in the Happy Day song. Yeah, you are. <laughs> <I'm so mad laughs> you hate when everybody else is having a great time. <laughs> You know what I mean, though. Like, the birthday has become a weapon. It's become a little too big. You're yeah. right. No, I'm with you. Reminds me of that Newfound Glory song, too. I'm sorry I forgot about your birthday. <laughs> oh, yeah, that one. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Good reference. As far as the narrative, Mike, I think this just introduces our second character that I talked about, this sad teenage girl who has a tough life. And we'll see how that pays off later, Mike. That we will. Track number six, Daddy's Little Defect. That title, Mike, come on. You love that title. You know that they sold shirts at their shows. Oh, yeah, 100%. Don't, don't, don't make a sound. Your father's around to play with your head. Give Fred Giltrip kisses left you naked in your bed. And all I see, I don't, don't, don't believe. And what you see is what you get with me. I thought this song was about a one-night stand, engaging in a physical relationship, but the two parties having no interest in each other long-term, no interest in each other's feelings, emotions, nothing serious, just this short fling, essentially. Yeah, I saw it as a guy who just wanted something physical, like to mess around with a girl, but then he realized that she might have more baggage than he anticipated. Yeah, he literally didn't want to deal with, quote unquote, daddy's little defect and all the emotional drama that comes along with this girl who, in his mind, has daddy issues. Right. Keep your secrets away from me if you want to be mine. So just keep it to yourself. Yeah, exactly. Did you read into this, or am I crazy? Like, are there dark undertones to this song about possible, like, abuse from this girl's father? Did you see that at all? Yeah, I mean, you could look that far and see that. Yeah, for sure. I just thought he was saying that she has baggage from a bad home situation. I don't know if I went as far as to assume that it was about actual physical violence. But why did you see that? Like, what? There was a couple lines that stuck out to me. It says, don't make a sound your father's around to play with your head. Gift wrap, guilt trip, kissed, left you naked in your bed. So... What I get from that is 
This could be about the dad or the boyfriend, but there's not enough details and there's not enough pronouns to, to <laughs> yeah. for me to clearly understand what's happening there. It's a little too vague, yeah. And it just made me uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. I think it could just be like, she has daddy issues. That's the... That's what I saw. Yeah. I thought that line, don't make a sound, your father's around. I thought he was just in the house, wasn't supposed to be in there, and they were engaging in some nefarious activity, and they had to keep quiet. That's what I thought, but... That could be it, too. Have I ever told you about my... Do you remember the board game, Don't Wake Daddy? Love that game. I mean, I haven't played it in years, but I used to love that game. So I used to have this, like, I guess you could call it a fascination, but the whole point of the game is to get to the fridge and steal some food for a late night snack without waking daddy. Right. If you look at it, there's similar to this song. Like, I read a lot of dark undertones to it. Mm. It's like, first of all, what's the worst that can happen? Like, daddy will probably just tell you to go back to bed, right? Mm -hmm. Uneventful. But it's like, yeah. don't wake daddy. Like, what's so scary? There could be something more sinister behind it is what you're saying? Exactly. Yeah. Daddy slept in a twin-sized bed alone. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. So that kind of makes you wonder, like, where's mommy? Yeah. Or where's the other daddy? I'm not trying to, you know. But either way, yeah. like, this could man is sure. alone and has a ton of kids over his house that are all trying to get in his fridge, probably furnishing them alcohol or something. Like, it's a yeah. weird thing. In my house, we had the lesser-known version, don't wake stepdaddy, (laughs) (laughs) which had slightly more sinister undertones. (laughs) Definitely. See, now I'm going to watch videos about that game for like 20, 25 minutes. Oh, God. That sounds like such a dark rabbit hole. I'm going to confirm that I'm right about all this stuff. There was no like mom sleeping next to him. It was just like, and then when you woke him up, it was just like his face like, ah! (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> he didn't yeah. wake up like a person who was at peace with life, and <laughs> it's like all he needed was just one kid sneaking to the fridge. <laughs> I'm so happy you've read so far into this. I know. So, how does this play into your narrative? Oh, okay. <laughs> to get back to the narrative, how I do know. I even how do I even collect myself now? I don't know when I'll ever get a chance to talk about "Don't Wake Daddy" again. So, True. I thought I'd better jump on it. Also, can you say daddy like six more times? It's doing things for me. (laughs) Sure, daddy. So the narrative is the two people in this song are the rock star and that sad teenage girl. This is them meeting up. They have this fling. And then let's see what happens now. Interesting. So our two characters have met and their stories have now become one. Okay. I can see that. It is following a sort of narrative. Track number seven, Lost in You. Six weeks went by. I'm still pretending that I'm fine. It was you and I. Holding back what's on our minds. All the things I should have said. All the letters left unsent. Much different type of song. Not really pop punk at all, is it? It sounds more of just like a 
alternative rock song. I think it was actually at the time compared to Goo Goo Dolls. Yeah, it's a softer rock song and it's of the breakup variety, I think, right? Somebody that just can't get over somebody in a relationship with somebody that for so long that a part of them is this person. Like that person was such a huge part of their life that now that they're gone, it feels like they lost a piece of themselves. Yeah. You're acknowledging that that person had a huge impact on you and it changed you forever, essentially. And the title, as you've suggested, Lost in You, it's almost as if you don't know who you are anymore without this person. And it can be six days that go by, six weeks go by, six months go by, and this person's just not able to overcome this emptiness that they're feeling without this person. Yeah, that was the part of the song that I thought was really cool. The first verse starts, six days went by trying to forget her face. So the earliest stage of a breakup, you're just trying to get this person out of your head, trying to eliminate the memories as best you can. Then the second verse goes, six weeks went by, still pretending that I'm fine. So now you're more thinking about you, you're trying to heal, you're trying to recover. And then the third verse says, six months went by, I almost forgot your face. So now you're finally getting over this person. Uh, you're close to that point where you can move on. So it's almost the the full life cycle, all the stages of a breakup. And then there's that remorse. What could I have done differently? There were words that I didn't say, letters I never sent. Was there something that I could have done on my end that could have prevented this? If that's something you're stuck with for months and months on end, that's got to be pretty challenging. Yeah, for sure. I think it's so common in breakups. That's just... Every breakup, you're constantly thinking, what could I have done to make this outcome a better one? How long do you dwell on that? Does it depend on the person or the length of the relationship? Does it differ? I think it definitely depends on all those things. Depends on how old you are at the time, how mature you are. All those factors definitely come into play. So if we're getting back to the story now, the rock star and this girl, they had their fling. They're now going their separate ways. I think the rock star is acknowledging that it probably wasn't something serious, or at least he's trying to convince himself that it wasn't serious, and he's trying to forget about this girl. But I think we'll see later on that the girl might have had a different understanding of their relationship, which we'll see in the next song. All right. Best of luck to you, rock star guy. Which takes us to track number eight, Pretty Girl, The Way. is the third single Keenan. it was not on the van wilder soundtrack no it was not shockingly because most of them <laughs> were but this song is really good this is another one where it was so hard to pick but this one was very close another really good song another top one of mine it was a highlight for me as well i think i might have heard this one back in the day because do you know when you hear a song and you 
don't recognize the title or the artist, but when that chorus hits, I'm like, I swear I've heard this song before. Yeah. It's very possible that I could have, but... It was super popular back in the day. I'm sure you've heard it once or twice before, but it's weird, though, because it's definitely less fun and less upbeat than the other singles from this album, and it's a lot heavier and almost has an eerie feel to it, doesn't it? Yeah, I got the eeriness as well. Suffering while he confesses everything. Pretty soon she'll figure out you can never get him out of your head. It's the way that he makes you cry. It's the way that he's in your mind. It's the way that he makes you fall in love. It's the way that he makes you feel. It's the way that he kisses you. It's the way that he makes you fall in love. It's this woman that she's the pretty girl and she's kind of discovering that the guy she's with is not who she thought he was. Mm -hmm. And it shies away from specifics, but you just get the feeling that it's nothing good. Yeah, for sure. I think you can extrapolate that. This girl's probably being cheated on by this guy. And to quickly jump into the narrative, Mike, the girl from our story sees that this guy isn't who she thought he was going to be. He's actually this rock star who probably sleeps around, has lots of girlfriends, and she feels betrayed by that. And I get the sense that she's the type of girl who always falls for the bad boy. And this is the cycle of her relationships that's probably going to happen over and over again. Right. She can't help herself. It's the way that he has this effect on her. You know, he can make her cry. He can bruise her ego. But at the end of the day, she's still falling in love with him. So it's like she's in this situation that she can't seem to escape. Yeah. I really like this song. Objectively, I think it's actually their best song. It's definitely the most poignant. The music, the lyrics, the theme, they all just work really well together. And the way he sings it, there is a lot of emotion behind it. I just felt like there was a lot of kind of raw power behind it. Yeah, I love how it's kind of slower during the verses. And then the chorus really just, the way he screams it is just so powerful. And there is a music video associated with the song, Mike. It doesn't really follow the theme of the song, though. No, not at all. (laughs) It's just footage of them in Trinidad and Go ahead, Tampanga. Let's hear you pronounce this. What'd you call it? Topanga? Turn that in Topanga. <laughs> uh, yep, that's the one. As you were trying to say, Mike, they're in Trinidad and Tobago. There it is. <laughs> I think that's what you meant to say. But they are just sort of touring around and interacting with the locals and performing on these makeshift stages around the country, I guess, around the island. Which is a very cool and nice guy thing to do. Not like the guy we hear in this song. No. Cheating and being mean. That's right. Being a real meanie. <laughs> no, but it's kind of feel good. You know, seems like they're trying to give back a little bit. They're spreading yeah. their American rock music to, uh, you know, this Caribbean island nation. Yeah, you're right. It's uh, about as opposite as you can get from making a music video <laughs> that goes along with this song. Yeah, but that's all right. 
I'd rather them do this than like we talked about with Paramore and Misery Business where you're waiting for the music video to fit the song and it didn't and that was more annoying. At least they're yeah. just, hey guys, up front, this song is just <laughs> totally. a song. Yeah, okay? totally left field with it. They're like, okay, this just won't relate and that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, pretty cool video. Track number nine, Crashing Down. It's interesting. A lot of these songs are very different sounding. I mean, this is another one that doesn't even really sound a whole lot like a pop punk song. The intro for this song reminded me almost like a Third Eye Blind song. Dude, I thought the same thing. I thought the entire song had like a Third Eye Blind vibe to it. That's so funny. Yeah, like one of the slower songs that Third Eye Blind does so well. Yeah. And I don't know if that's a reason or not. I mean, I love Third Eye Blind, but this was my favorite song on the album. Oh, nice. Yeah, this one is uh, is definitely a lower key, sort of off the radar song. I kind of like the theme of it as well. I thought it was an interesting perspective on a relationship. And I don't know if this fits your narrative or not, but what I got from it was it was kind of talking about when things move too fast in a relationship and they might get physical right off the bat. And then from there, you really have nowhere to go. And because you have nowhere to go, the relationship crashes down, which is what the title of the song is. So, yeah, it's a relationship that goes bad for one reason or another. And these two people feel trapped in it. They both probably feel very insecure and self-conscious. And there are all these lines about having that specific feeling. And it's like you can't fully open up to that person because you've rushed things. That does fit the narrative, Mike. These two people who had this one night stand and clearly didn't see eye to eye. The girl thought it was something more serious and felt betrayed. And the guy just wanted to move on. This relationship is now crashing down because of it. So yeah, I think it actually fits the narrative perfectly and kind of weirdly. I never thought about relationships that might be screwed up because you get it on too quickly, but (laughs) I guess that doesn't give you the chance or the time to get to know each other and figure out if this relationship could be something that's built to last. Right. You're not connecting emotionally with this person. You've sort of rushed to the end steps and you missed a couple along the way. It's hard to rebuild those. And there's nothing wrong with having that person that is just like your friend with benefits or a hookup person. You know what the kids say, hookup person. (laughs) That's the technical term. (laughs) You're always going to be wondering, could this have been something more like, could they have been the one? Right. Is it too late to find out? Man, that stinks. 
Yeah, it does stink. The more I think about this relationship that's going on in these songs, the more I think that the guy is just Dennis from It's Always Sunny doing his Dennis system on this girl. <laughs> Doesn't it feel like that? Yeah. Where he's uh, engaging physically and neglecting emotionally and just yeah. moving on. and Separate entirely. Exactly. This guy might be Dennis. Track number 10. How does it feel? How does it feel, Mike? Fourth and final song on the Van Wilder soundtrack, Keenan. Oh, is this the last one? Yeah. Oh, I'm kind of bummed about that. I Although know. it is like the second to last song on the album, so. Yeah, we'll be able to make it. Yeah. Is it about a rebound, Mike? Keenan, it's got to be a song about Charles Barkley because this song is about a rebound. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> is he like the rebound king? He's the round mound of rebounds. Is that his nickname? Yeah. Nice. I don't know. Wait, if... wasn't that you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he stole my nickname. <laughs> I bet you the most rebounds in NBA history is probably like Wilt. Yeah, it's Wilt Chamberlain. Yeah, it's got to be. He's so tall. I wonder who's in the top five. He's not even in the top five. He's number 19. Charles Barkley? Yeah. Yeah. Was number 18 Mike Moynihan? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually Bob Pettit. Oh, okay. Of course. I'm number... Uh, Four after Will Chamberlain, Bill Russell, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. There's a trend there. But yeah, so that was Charles's, Sir Charles's name. Cool. But yeah, Keenan, it's about a rebound. It's about a girl that never really took you seriously. She never really was there for you and you were there for her. And she's cheating on you. She's with other guys. And you decide, you know what? This time, I'm going to be the one that ends up happy. And you're going to end up being the one that's sad and wants me back. So yeah. I'm going to find a prettier girl, somebody that you're jealous of, and I'm going to rub it in your face. That's exactly right, Mike. It's definitely a revenge song, and it's about sticking it to your ex. Fairly reminiscent of that Paramore song, Mike, Misery Business. Remember that one? Mm, do I ever, Keenan? Yeah. The situation's a little bit different, but that one was all about revenge as well and sticking it to this other girl. But yeah. And it fits the narrative a little bit because I think at this point in the story, these two people have realized that their relationship has crashed and burned for one reason or another. And now they're essentially just trying to make each other jealous, sleeping around a little bit, seeing other people and trying to get revenge. Can you say objectively, because as we've discussed, I've been kind of one and done with Abby, but how much does that play a role in a new relationship like is there always a thought of even if it's not the first thought but is there always a thought of oh she's gonna see me on facebook and think oh he's got a new girl or he's gonna see me and think oh that guy is tougher than i am like is there is there always tougher. a little bit of an underlying thought of like my ex will probably be jealous of my new fling or my new boo let me just nip this in the bud 
I am always worried that my ex is going to find a tougher guy than me. That's like my first worry. <laughs> Impossible. So. <laughs> oh, man, that guy looks real tough. <laughs> I was trying to, I don't know. What do guys, what do guys, what are we envious of? Oh, he has more hair than me. <laughs> yeah, definitely. He's got a uh, great set of hair. Great set of hair. <laughs> man, look at that guy's eight pack. Do people, are people still envious of eight packs? <laughs> Nobody I hang around with. Uh, to answer your question, yeah, I think it's probably in the back of your mind. I don't know if it's like the first consideration after a breakup. Okay. I think at some point down the line, it becomes more real because usually two people need a little time to heal. And at some point, then you start wondering, oh, I wonder if she's gotten with somebody else. I wonder if she's dating anybody else and vice versa. Because I'll tell you what, from an onlooker's perspective, I see people date and break up and then get with different people on my social media timelines and i judge do you i have my opinions on who's better and who is uh better looking and whether they made the right choice or not wow you've heard it here first posse mike's judging you yep don't be so shallow on social media or he's gonna he's gonna know it's not even like my close friends it's like people that i probably have met a couple times in my life but for whatever reason my algorithm just shows me everything they do (laughs) yeah Throw a name out there. Let's go. Let's spice this up a little bit. I can think of one. I'm not going to say it. You're not going to say it? No. Okay. No. Just tell me and then we'll... Let's bleep it out. Oh, dude, we'll bleep it. Okay. Go ahead, say it. I don't want to say it because I know that one of the people has talked to me before about listening to the show. Oh, my God. So somebody out there who actually is going to listen to this, it literally is about them. Yeah. So many people are going to be wondering now. (laughs) Trust me, it's not you. If you're thinking it's you, it's not. Uh, Not you, Keenan. I mean, like... I know what you mean. One of you, though, it is. (laughs) But I'll say this. I'm on your side. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Can you tell me who it is, though? Yeah. um, Okay. My friend... That's fucked, man. I don't know. Hmm. Sorry, buddy. I don't care. I know. Sorry for... That's why it's great. It's like, I don't care about any of this. Sorry, Do you hear that... It's about you. <laughs> all right, edit all of that out, Mike. <laughs> One final thought, Keenan. This song also includes my tattoo line. Nice. Okay. Ooh, well, this is a song about revenge and people trying to make each other jealous. I'm interested to see which one you pick. Sometimes you can get revenge by getting your new partner's name tattooed on your body. Whoa. Yeah, that's true. The Undertaker did that. Did he really? He had a tattoo on his neck that he's since had covered up oh my god check this one out keenan we don't want to be the enemies of what we used to be wow what does that mean i have no idea (laughs) that's why i want to get tattooed on my body yikes well how are you going to answer when people ask you that i I don't know i could say something cool like uh it's you gotta know (laughs) But but i don't know but they repeat okay. that line twice. So obviously they probably thought it was a very cool, like, deep line. Yeah. And it was just so deep that nobody can figure out what the hell they're talking about.
So if we break it down, we don't want to be the enemies of what we used to be. Oh, it actually hurts my head to to listen to. So you don't want to be the enemy of what you used to be. It's grammatically very confusing. It actually, is. can we get Susie Cook on the line here to break this one down for us? Ring, ring, ring. This is the Susie Cook grammar hour now. Yeah. Phone a friend. <laughs> you don't need to think too hard about it, Mike. It's okay. Where would I get this tattoo? Great question. Oh, I know what it means. I know what it means. We don't want to be the enemies of what we used to be. We used to be in this happy relationship. We don't want to be enemies of that. So they want to be on good terms? I think that's what it means. They want to be on good terms. But the theme of the song would not agree with that analysis. Right. Maybe he's admitting it towards the end of the song that he doesn't actually feel this way. He doesn't want things to be bad between them. He'd rather just move on and not try to make each other jealous and not be petty about it. Or maybe the rebound is to make her jealous and then he tells his new girlfriend, oh no, we just want to be friends, but that's just like he's trying to get back with her. I don't know. Oh man, this it's hurt my head a little bit. <laughs> I think we might be overthinking it. Yeah, as we tend to do. But for that reason, I'm going to put this somewhere that hopefully nobody sees it. So I'm thinking upper thigh. Okay, upper thigh? Yeah. So maybe if I'm, Oof. you know, jogging along the beach, you might catch a glimpse. But for the most part, I'm not going to have to explain this to anybody because I don't know how. Well, just <laughs> clearly, as we've just discovered, we have no idea how to explain it. It's a cool line, but that's all it is. It just sounds cool. The meaning is still a little confusing. Exactly. Track number 11. I changed my name. Couldn't sleep last night, my ears were ringing in my head Best friends with the boogeyman, I may be better off here dead Running on empty once again, too tired for tears I dread Sink deep to those magic dreams while I blast off in my bed And you know I played it all in here Would you ever change your name? I don't think so. Me neither. We have good names. To what? I don't know. It depends. To what? That's up to you. You can change to whatever you want to. I don't think I would ever change it. I don't know what I would change it to if I were to change it. I would probably change my last name to McFly because that's like a cool last name. Mikey McFly? Mikey McFly, yeah. That's good. I like that. It's a good reference, too. But still, I mean, I think my name's perfectly fine the way it is. Beautiful name. What about you? Would you change your name to to Kel? <laughs> <laughs> Mike, that is so witty of you. And so original, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I would probably change my spelling to what it is actually supposed to be because the bullshit that my mom did doesn't resonate with anybody. Nobody knows how to spell my name. It's supposed to be K-E-E-N-A-N. Yeah. Or K-E-N-A-N. Okay. But definitely not the way I spell it. My phone does autocorrect it every time I type out your name. K-E-A-N-A-N. No, she's just unique. And we love that about her. Love you, Mom. We do. How does she spell Allison? Because there's a couple different ways to spell that, too. A-L-I-S-O-N. Allison. Okay. So, like... A regular way. One of the normal ways, sure. Not like A L L Y S Y Z 
Z. U N. Allison. Okay, so you would just change your first name spelling. Yeah, but I wouldn't actually I wouldn't actually do that. Right. But so overall we're pretty satisfied with our names. Yeah. I'll keep my name for now. Because you can change your name. You can always like try to make a nickname work for you. Totally. Like I remember when Tony Hawk Pro Skater was big, the skateboarder Bucky Lassick. I tried to like make my name Bucky for a short period of time. <laughs> Yikes. Like I, I remember I would like make um Hey, what's up? It's me, Bucky. What's up, guys? I remember I put in a food order at the bowling alley under the oh, name no. Bucky. <laughs> I think. Trying to make Bucky stick. Yeah, but it was very quick because I just thought it was a cool name for a while. And then I'm like, let me try this out. And then they announced it like over the PA. <laughs> and I was like, that's not me. I just oh, So it was just that one time you tried it? Yeah. Okay. I think I would ask people like, what if you guys call me Bucky? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm pretty sure if you asked me that i'd be like no right so obviously if you have no recollection of this and it wasn't a very long period of my life no our friend paul used to always call himself eric do you remember that yeah i do remember that when we played soccer he would like refer to himself as eric <laughs> yeah why would you do that <laughs> i don't know paul why would you do that <laughs> can you tell us i think he just liked the name eric yeah maybe he'll change it maybe I'm i'm cool with it yeah but all that aside, Keenan, I don't think... Is there this... a song? Are we talking about a song right now? <laughs> I don't Oh, yeah. Think... It's called I Changed My Name. Okay. Got it. I don't think this song is about actually changing your name. I saw it as a song about falling asleep and finding comfort in sleeping and dreaming and being able to be whoever you wanted to be in that extension of your life, in your dreams. Whoa. So you saw it very specifically and very literally about dreams. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's the only way I think I could see it. I tried to look at it some other ways, and I was just like, I think they're really just referring to not being able to sleep and then eventually falling asleep and feeling great about it. I do love sleep. Actually, I hate sleep. Really? I have trouble sleeping. I, I like to stay up late. I love to stay up late, but when I sleep, I like sleep like a rock. <laughs> yeah. How did you see it then? Do you saw it as not a comforting song? Well, I'll just say that by this point in the album, I was so committed to fulfilling this narrative and this story that... You had an agenda. Yeah, I kind of have an agenda here. So yeah. I'll explain how it fits my agenda. Uh, well, first off the bat, very eerie song. Mm-hmm. And I think it's actually a really somber way to close out the album. Definitely not one of the more upbeat pop punk songs, but I thought it was a cool change of pace. Yeah, I feel like we've been doing this throughout the album, so... While we're at it, this song reminded me of like an earlier Switchfoot song. Mm, like the okay. melody and the way his voice sounded reminded me of John Foreman a little bit. So not yeah. sure why, but I just got that vibe whenever I listened to it. So let me paint a picture for you here, Mike. Okay. So now we've been through this sort of crazy chain of events. These two people meet. They have this one moment in time together. Clearly it doesn't end well. They try to make each other jealous. Things crash to the ground. And I think now the rock star is by himself at his house trying to sleep, but he can't sleep because he's just tormented by these events that happened to him. And he doesn't feel comfortable in the way that things ended. And the way that the singer talks about changing his name, everyone says that I'm not the same since I changed my name. I think he's saying that he doesn't feel like he's the same person anymore. Like he's been changed irrevocably. And it's equivalent to you changing your name 
and becoming a different person, he feels like he's a totally different person now. I think he's literally just tossing and turning in bed and he essentially needs medication to eventually fall asleep. And he's having one of these sort of crazy lucid dreams that's medically induced essentially, Mm -hmm. but it's all to kind of forget about this girl. So that's what I got out of it. That's what I saw. Interesting. I still like the idea of just having a slow, nice song at the end of the album that you can fall asleep to. Yeah. We should try falling asleep to this song tonight. Okay. It might be too creepy, too. I think it might creep me out. I like the line, while I blast off in my bed. Yeah, that does sound fun. It's like having a rocket ship bed. Yeah. (laughs) Did you ever have a car bed when you were younger? Like a race Mm -hmm. car bed? No. I I don't think so. Me neither. Nothing fun. Yeah. (laughs) Normal beds. Just your standard don't wake daddy bed. (laughs) Yeah. So there is a hidden track on this album, Mike. I think there might have been a couple, actually. But there was one that shows up on most of the track lists that you look at, most of the websites that have lyrics, and it's called Underwear. It's weird. It's really different. It's more of a smooth jazz type of song. Like, it's very jazzy. Hmm. Like, a lot of the instruments aren't even instruments that Sugar Colt would normally use, I don't think. But it's really creepy. And it's about a guy who essentially stalks a girl and commits murder. To end my narrative in a pretty dark way, even darker than I changed my name, I think they cap the album off with this rock star, this guy, snapping because... He's going crazy, suffocating in his bedroom alone. And he goes and finds this girl from earlier in the album and murders her. And that's how the narrative closes. Damn. I feel like you had past narratives that end up with, like, murder. (laughs) I like to spin it that way, yeah. (laughs) It's always fun when a story ends in murder, you know? But it's funny because this track was so hidden that I didn't even listen to it. So (laughs) it was not on Spotify. So it did not make my uh, research list this week. It's actually worth a listen. I mean, it's really short, but you should listen to it. It's it's really creepy. This is a fun album to revisit, Mike. It's one that you and I didn't know as well as the others. And I think that's partially what attracted us to it. Did have some pretty big hits. Obviously, Stuck in America, Bounce Off the Walls. Those are some big ones that people will know. But I kind of hope that everybody rediscovers this album with us and they find a couple new favorite songs like you did. Absolutely. Part of our original goal with this podcast was 
obviously to discuss some of our favorite albums, but also to find some that maybe we didn't catch the first time around or rediscover some that we knew one or two songs or we knew all four songs off of Van Wilder soundtrack, but there were still some hidden gems that maybe they were worth re-listening to again. So I'm glad we did this one. Yeah, and it was a good intro into Sugar Cult. I think most people out there probably know them for Palm Trees and Power Lines. Everybody knows the song Memory. And so this kind of sets the stage for that album. And it will be fun when we eventually get to that album. Now we have sort of this backstory. I'll start learning the chords now so I can play rhythm guitar. That's right. That's what we want. That'd be perfect. Another nice surprise this album is the fact that I did discover this underlying story. And I don't know if they intended for it to be that way, but I'd like to think that they actually built that in there. And maybe most people didn't discover it, but guess what, Mike? We did. The way you, I don't know if spin it is the right word, but whether they intended it or not, it does make sense. Yeah, kind of plays out in a cool way. So That's my favorite part about this album, too, is something that you did. You're just upset that you can uh, figure it out. Not all the great songs that we just discussed, just the fact that Keenan was able to... No, that was great work by you. Great detective work. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. On next week's episode, episode five, we're going to get into a major banger, Mike, Newfound Glory's Catalyst. Oh boy, Keenan, I can't wait for that one. We don't really talk a lot about what we discussed prior to just hopping on and recording together. So you would have no way of knowing this, but I think this might be the universe telling me it's time to let go because at the science fair where I was picto chatting and you and Pete Busby were doing a project about subliminal messaging, I was also listening to Newfound Glory's Catalyst on my Walkman. Were you really? I was. Swear to God. That is really strange. That is the universe telling us that this is meant to be. Yep. We'll get into it more next week, but... Not the science fair portion, but this was <laughs> this was a CD I got Christmas 2004, so it was on heavy rotation around the time of science fair, when, which I don't know when that was. I'm just I just remember that was listening to, you know science fair season. Yeah, that's classic. That's very normal in middle school. Until next week, my friends. Poppunkproject@gmail.com on Instagram and Twitter at poppunkproject, Patreon.com slash pop punk project also in addition to our social media you guys are now eligible to join our cult our sugar cult thanks again we hope you've had the time of your lives god bless and good riddance and join our cult
please join our cult. <laughs> Subliminal message, cult. Cult. What's cult backwards? Cluck, 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 cluck. <laughs> Are you chicken? Cluck. <laughs>